Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair and this is the Vitality Radio Show and the Vitality Radio Podcast. It's good to be with you again on another episode. I can't believe we're at episode 110. The time just is flying by. Last week, uh, or sorry, Wednesday when we released the vintage episode, episode 109, I uh, when I always go back and listen to the vintage episodes and make sure that the content is still of good value to you, uh, that it's not dated. I pull out stuff that's kind of a waste of your time to listen to to try and make those episodes as concise as possible. But one of the things that I love doing when I'm going back there and listening to those vintage episodes, which get released every Wednesday, podcast only, is... I get to refresh my mind about some of the things that I've talked about in the past that maybe need a refresher or remind me of something that's going on in the present or, you know, whatever, that type of thing. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in March of 2016, so we're talking five years ago now when that episode aired is that Maggie Fox from NBC News is still at NBC News and that the headlines that she or her editor or whoever writes the headlines there uh, that they write are still as misleading as they ever were. I was calling her out five years ago, probably before that as well, for these ridiculous headlines. And one of the things that uh, is in that vintage episode is a headline that makes it sound like a medical intervention is much, much more effective than it actually is. Well, today, and I've done this only one other time that I can remember on Vitality Radio, and that one has not become a vintage episode yet on the podcast, but today I'm going to talk about something called NNT. That's the number needed to treat. The number needed to treat is a very interesting concept. Well, not concept. It's a scientific measurement basically saying how many people need to be treated with a drug or a therapy of some sort or a surgical procedure, Uh, but I'm going to focus specifically on drugs today, but uh, how many people need to be given a drug in order to eliminate one person from having a a bad outcome that that drug's associated with. In other words, statin drugs, for instance, which are specifically to lower cholesterol in an attempt to reduce heart disease, heart attack and stroke. What's the NNT for a statin drug? We're going to talk about that. How many people have to take the drug for how long for one person to not have a heart attack? That's basically what the NNT is. That's what I'm going to talk about in uh, for a chunk of the show. That'll be during my rant. And I, I brought up the vintage episode before I started primarily just to kind of get into your mind what popped into my mind, because I don't know if it'll automatically happen or not. It did with me, but this is what I do all week long, so maybe uh, it won't be quite as obvious to you. 
But as we talk about the NNT and, of course, last week's episode, episode 108 of the podcast, I talked about the actual statistics that we currently have, what we do know about the coronavirus vaccines as opposed to what we do not know. And uh, what we don't know is the NNT. And boy, I would love to know the NNT for that. How many people need to be given the coronavirus vaccine to prevent one death? If that is even a number that we'll ever get, well, the studies haven't been done. And so we may never get that. In fact, I don't think that we have that for any vaccine that I'm aware of anyway. So that's what I'll talk about today. I'm also going to bring you some other really cool stuff about uh, health and nutrition, some proactive things that you can do to take charge of your health. And that'll be the tail end of the show. The only other thing I want to mention before I jump into the rant is that we do have, I've had a few people asking about it. I've been mentioning it over the last few weeks. We have another intro seminar for the core wellness introduction to NAAP. That's Neuro Auto Associative Programming. People that have been asking me what that is that haven't heard me talk about it on the show, um, but have heard me mention it, you know, at Vitality Nutrition or wherever else they've, or maybe they've been talking to friends about it, that kind of thing. They're trying to figure out what the heck neuro-auto-associative programming is. And what I will say to simplify it for you to determine whether or not coming to this seminar would make sense for you is if you feel stuck in any area of your life, whether it's career, uh, finance, uh, relationships with you know maybe a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, parenting, religion, spirituality, political concerns. I mean, you name it, you name it. And neuroauto associative programming is something that you can use to help feel far less stuck to basically obtain mental freedom, uh, no matter what state of life or stage of life you are in. So we do these seminars. We're doing a couple of them a month. The next one is the 23rd, which is just this coming Tuesday. We have a, a handful of seats left for that one. It's $15 for you and another $5 for anybody that you would like to bring with you. And we would absolutely love to have you on the 23rd. If you have questions or you want to sign up for that uh, introductory seminar, it's 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And that is at Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful at uh, 107 South 500 West in Bountiful. All right, so I uh, think this rant might take just a minute, so I better launch right in. It is time for the Vital Rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Alrighty, alrighty. We're going to talk about NNT. That is the number needed to treat. So it sounds like NNTT, but they call it NNT. We're leaving the two out of there. And according to Wikipedia and pretty much everywhere else I read, there's a whole bunch of definitions. They almost all say exactly the same thing. The number needed to treat is an epidemiological measure 
used in communicating the effectiveness of a healthcare intervention, typically a treatment with medication. The NNT is the average number of patients who need to be treated to prevent one additional bad outcome. Now, of course, not all drugs are designed to prevent death. Many drugs are designed to prevent a specific uh, illness from occurring or reoccurring. Uh, we have drugs for all kinds of different things that you know people deal with and the symptoms that people deal with. And the question is always in medicine, or at least it's supposed to be, the risk-reward uh, ratio. You know, how risky is this particular intervention versus how great of a reward may be associated with it? And there's a great website that actually lists these things in what appears to be a pretty unbiased way, these NNTs. It's not very complete. There's, I don't know, maybe there's hundreds of NNTs listed, but clearly we have far more medical techniques and surgeries and procedures and drugs than hundreds. Uh, but regardless, the ones that you can find there are very, very interesting, I, I found. And uh, so with NNT, what we're really trying to figure out is, you know, how many people actually have to take this drug before one person actually gets the result they're looking for. And then the flip side of that, where it comes to risk, would be then how many people have to take this drug before one person has a significant side effect of some sort. Clearly, you would want the NNT number needed to treat to be much higher on the prevention side or the cure side and much, much lower on the risk side or the side effects side. But it's really interesting what these numbers actually look like and sometimes a little mind-blowing. Let's just start with one simple one because it's one that I think most people, certainly most adults over the age of 40 or 50 are pretty familiar with because it's such a common recommendation and that's a daily aspirin. A daily aspirin to prevent heart attack or stroke to basically keep the blood thin. And what they did is they did a study for one year patients that were doing aspirin for one year. In fact, this isn't just a study. This is an analysis of multiple studies. Excuse me. So it's pretty pretty comprehensive. And the numbers are very interesting. After one year on aspirin daily, uh, for people who had not had a previous cardiovascular event, okay, someone who didn't have a, hadn't had a stroke, hadn't had a heart attack, one in 1,667 were helped in other words, a cardiovascular problem was prevented. None were helped in terms of preventing a death. So that number was essentially infinite. And one in 2,000 were helped preventing a non-fatal heart attack. One in 3,000 were helped preventing a non-fatal stroke. Now, here's the interesting thing. So remember, one in 1,667 were helped in terms of preventing some type of cardiovascular problem. No deaths were prevented, according to the studies. And one in 3,333 were harmed, uh, meaning a major bleeding event, a major internal bleeding event, or I guess it could be external, but generally those are internal bleeding events. So basically, for every three people that take this, uh, one is going to prevent a cardiovascular problem or two would prevent a cardiovascular problem, and one would have a major bleeding event. That's in terms of the people that are actually 
uh, using or that actually have something happen, right? Something positive or something negative. And that's in just one year. But then if you're what if you take extrapolate that up to 3000 people, 3000 people, you still only have two receiving a benefit and one uh, essentially bleeding, having a major bleeding event. And then 2,997, uh, no benefit and low risk, essentially. Now, the reason I say low risk in that case, as opposed to no risk, is because that's only one year on aspirin. We know 100%, the literature is extremely clear on this, that the longer you take an aspirin daily, the more likely you are to have a major bleeding event. So one year is not really a long enough window to look at in terms of the risk. But think about that. If you, it's kind of like playing the lottery in this case. Uh, You have a one in 1,667 chance of a daily aspirin after being on it a year, actually preventing a cardiovascular problem. Interesting stuff. So now this is where I think there's real value in this because clearly the majority of those people that had not had a stroke and had not had a heart attack and then on an aspirin per day for a year were not going to have a stroke or a heart attack anyway. So it can't prevent something that wasn't going to happen. And that's one thing that has to weigh in. So what does the NNT look at or look like for a daily aspirin when it comes to someone who has had a stroke or a heart attack in the past? Well, the number gets much, much better. It goes from one in 1,667 down to one in 50. Now, still, I don't know how you look at it. And this is one of the things that I think is really fascinating because it's all perception. It's all perception in terms of how you look at these numbers. But if you say, I'm I'm good with being a one in 50 NNT, that I have a one in 50 chance that this drug is going to benefit me. I'm fine with that because I've already had a heart attack and I, or I've already had a stroke and I don't ever want another one. And if anything will potentially help me, I'm willing to take it. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it would be one in 50. I'm still kind of playing roulette here that I have a one in 50 chance that this is going to help me. Now, that's to prevent a cardiovascular event. The number goes to one in 333 to prevent death. And then one in 77 to prevent a non-fatal heart attack, one in 200 to prevent a non-fatal stroke. All of those numbers are way better, way, way smaller number needed to treat uh, numbers versus the people who were essentially healthy, who had not had heart disease up to that point. So what that says to me, and this is my perception, you get to decide for yourself, obviously, is that if I have not had a heart attack or stroke, then I don't see any reason why I would take a one in 1,667 chance that it's going to help me to take an aspirin a day versus a one in 3,033 chance, 333 chance, sorry, that that aspirin is going to cause a major bleeding event. It's not worth the risk reward for me. Had I had a, a stroke or a heart attack or potentially multiple strokes or heart attacks, then that number, you know, again, goes down and at least it gets it into the realm of something that I might want to consider. And then, to so you are aware that bleeding event uh, that happened in the one in three thousand three hundred thirty-three 
that number actually goes down to one in 400 for people who have already had a heart attack, heart attack or stroke. So you have a one in 50 chance that it'll prevent a cardiovascular illness and a one in 400 chance that you'll be harmed by a major bleeding event. So it's about eight to one there. You have a eight times more likely that it'll help you than it will hurt you at least in one year. Again, with the bleeding events, that those odds go up as we go. And I'd love to see what an NNT in terms of the bleeding event is after, say, 10 years. That would be a very interesting number that I wasn't able to find. So those numbers are, I don't know, what do you think? Does it make you think, well, maybe this is a number I ought to know before I go on a pharmaceutical or have a procedure or surgery or something like that? And the answer for me is always going to be yes, because then at least it gives you the data you need to decide if it's worth the risk. So for my way of thinking, the NNT is a really, really valuable tool. Let's talk about a couple of other areas where the NNT is very interesting. All right, let's look at antibiotics for uncomplicated diverticulitis. Uncomplicated diverticulitis, antibiotic is the most common that I'm aware of treatment for that. Uh, diverticulitis is basically inflammation uh, in the diverticula in the intestinal tract. And I've never experienced it, thank goodness, but I've worked with a lot of people at Vitality over the years who have, and it can be extremely painful. And uh, some people have told me, like literally, I thought I was dying. So it's, it's not a fun thing to deal with. And you would, when you're in the middle of a diverticulitis attack, tend to be a lot more likely to just say, give me whatever you've got, doc. I want to get better. So what are the numbers if they recommend an antibiotic? Well, it's actually really, really straightforward here. One in 32 were helped. And that is what it was. One in 32. So you have a one in 32 chance. That's better than what we talked about with the aspirin per day. It's not, a, not great odds though, but what about harm? One in 24 were harmed. Adverse reaction or morbidity related to antibiotic use. So a 1 in 32 chance it'll help you, a 1 in 24 chance it will harm you. Now, if you knew those numbers going in before you were in a state of significant pain, would it change the way that you review or decide you know, what you're going to do with that particular treatment? I think that it probably would in a lot of cases. I think the NNT is something that ought to be on the packaging of pharmaceuticals. There's quite a bit of research showing that doctors don't share that information with their patients and that they don't use it that much themselves. The NNT was originally designed to help clinicians decide who should I give this to and how liberally should I give it, essentially. Is it really worth it? Is it really going to help them? And apparently it's not being used that much. So let's go through uh, Stat News. Statnews.com did a great article on this. There's a few things that I want to read straight out of their uh, article that I think will help shed a little bit more light on this for you. Statins, which have become synonymous with heart attack and stroke prevention, have an NNT of 60 for heart attack and 268 for stroke. So there you go. One in 60 prevent heart attack. One in 60 people on a statin for five years, for five years, one heart attack is prevented for every 60 people take it. And one stroke is prevented for every 268 people that take it. Okay. In people with heart disease already, the number is smaller. So that's people with high cholesterol, but not heart disease. People with heart disease 
39 have to take it for five years for one non-fatal heart attack to be prevented. And one in every 83 have to take it for one life to be saved. So you have a one in 83 chance it's going to save your life, one in 39 chance that you're going to have a non, or or that it's going to prevent a non-fatal heart attack. So those numbers are better, but they're still not great. And how about blood pressure meds? If 125 people with high blood pressure take drugs for five years to lower it, the meds will prevent a fatal stroke or heart attack in one person, one in 125. So these numbers are really, really interesting if you think about that. When you consider the millions and millions and millions of people that are on high blood pressure meds and statin drugs that are not receiving help, according to the clinical trials. And keep in mind, too, that these clinical trials were done by the drug companies to get these products on the market in the first place. So maybe these numbers are even a little skewed in their favor. They often tend to be. But even if they're not, a 1 in 39 chance that a statin for five years, a 1 in 39 chance that a statin for five years, I'll prevent a non-fatal heart attack, and a 1 in 83 chance that it'll prevent me from dying over that five-year period. That's an interesting thing to think about, especially when you start to weigh out the negatives of a statin drug, because on average, about 10% of people have a side effect with a statin, one in 10. So you have a four times higher likelihood of of an adverse reaction to a statin drug than you do that it'll actually prevent a heart attack, even if you've already had heart disease. Really, really interesting stuff. Okay, so the statin and aspirin examples underline that the NNT is different in different populations. In other words, people who aren't sick yet, but trying to prevent becoming sick versus people who are sick. And that's according to Dr. H. Gilbert Welsh, a professor of medicine at Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice. He said people at higher risk of an adverse outcome outcome tend to benefit more from an intervention. So the NNT is always lower than in lower risk people. For instance, the NNT for preventing hip fractures with the bone strengthening drugs called bisphone, I can never say this one, bisphosphonates is 100 in postmenopausal women with previous broken bones, but essentially infinite in those without previous fractures. So there's one more. I think it's interesting when we go to pharmacy for our preventative medicines, what we start to learn here. If we're preventing a heart attack or stroke with a statin drug in someone who's never had one before, and our number needed to treat to prevent a stroke is one in 268, for heart attack, it's one in 60, we're playing preventative medicine and almost everybody that is trying to prevent is getting no benefit. A higher percentage, of course, again, getting actual side effects. And with bisphosphonates, which they use to prevent hip fractures, if you've never had a hip fracture, but you have a lower bone density and you decide to go on one of those, according to Dr. Gilbert Welsh over at Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy, he says, It's an infinite number of people that have to take a bisphosphonate to actually have a a positive outcome. And you have to have 100 people, 100 people taking it to have one hip fracture uh, eliminated. One person 
doesn't have a hip fracture for every 100 people taking it. So then again, you have to weigh out, you know, okay, well, what are the risks? Because listen, if bisphosphonates and if statin drugs and if high blood pressure meds came with no risk, then maybe a one in 100 chance it'd be good enough. I, I don't know. I guess, again, it depends on your perception. But if they all have these risks, and if the risks in some cases are actually higher than the reward or the potential reward, then maybe it helps us rethink a little bit of our willingness to just jump on a pharmaceutical. And I think that that's what needs to happen in this country, because one of the challenges with medicine in this country is that doctors have been, to some degree, hamstrung in terms of what they're supposed to do when some com someone comes in with a specific um, you know, ailment, we'll say, because it can be a variety of different concerns, obviously, to go to see you to see your doctor for. But what I think is really, really interesting, again, I guess there's two parts to it, is that doctors, they have what's called the standard of care. And in the standard of care, they're supposed to recommend a statin if your number is a specific number. And it's generally, I think, over 100 on your LDL, over 200 on your total cholesterol. Some doctors even recommend them at lower levels than that. So that's the standard of care. The doctor is, is actually required to make that recommendation. Uh, and doctors can make some lifestyle recommendations, you know, change your diet, uh, get more exercise. But generally speaking, you're going to be hard pressed to find a doctor who's going to say, well, you could consider taking something like garlic or berberine because those have clinical evidence that they're very, very beneficial without the side effects. But generally speaking, doctors are taught to give drugs, and that's what most of them do. So that's the one side of it. But the other side of it would be just simply being an informed patient. Because when we look at these interventions, especially preventatively, I think we can all pretty much agree when we look at pharmaceutical medicine in this country, that almost everything in the pharmacy is designed to reduce symptomology, not really necessarily prevent any long-term health ailment. And as you're looking at these things that are with high blood pressure medicines, one in every 125 people don't have a heart attack because of high blood pressure med. And one in every 60 don't have a heart attack because of a statin drug. It's a really, really interesting thing to consider. And what I believe probably is the best thing that you can do as a consumer or a potential consumer of these pharmaceuticals is to educate yourself on the NNT of something that your doctor is recommending to you. Ask him or her for that information. If they don't have that information, it's mostly readily available online. You can find it, you know, NNT for this drug, NNT for this procedure, and put your details in. You can probably get the information that you need. And then if you have more of a chronic concern that maybe you're already being treated for or have been considering treatment for, or you have a history of something like diverticulitis, for instance, maybe you've been in for diverticulitis and already had an antibiotic for it, 
then you start to look, you should know what those numbers are that it's going to take one, 32 people for every one person to get a benefit from an antibiotic, but only 24 people for every one person to have a significant side effect. If you have that information in your back pocket, you are going to be in a much better position to ask rational questions before just accepting a prescription for a pharmaceutical. So I think the NNT is a very valuable tool. I highly encourage that you use it and become familiar with it because it does shed light on the potential procedures, surgeries, or medicines that you may consider consuming. One of the things that happens on the, or not on the news, but on the uh, TV and the radio and billboards and magazine ads is they have all the fine print, right? Whether it's spoken or it's written about the side effects. But the problem with the side effects is it just says, you know, the most common effects were these uh, and then less common effects were these. Well, you don't know what does that even mean, right? Is it one in a million people that, that die from this drug or is it one in a thousand or one in a hundred thousand? And how many people are actually helped by it? These are This is data that you can actually use to make an informed decision. So I do recommend you become familiar with it. I think most people don't even know that it's a thing and uh, it's really, really fascinating information. I'll probably bring you more of it in future episodes of Vitality Radio. Okay, I've got to cut to a break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about some great uh, natural remedies for a variety of things, including I'll hit a little bit on some of the alternatives you have if you are on something for blood pressure or have been considering something for blood pressure or cholesterol. We'll talk about those things that may be a safer alternative uh, without the potential risk and uh, much of the same benefit. When we come back, my name's Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com, that's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on another episode of Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast. I hope you enjoyed the rant. 
I do feel I fumbled through it just a little bit, but hopefully it all made sense. This NNT thing is fascinating, the number needed to treat. And it is something that I feel is really, really powerful, a, a very powerful tool for the customer, I will say. Now, obviously, you are a patient uh, when you are in a doctor-patient relationship, but you're also a customer, a consumer, and you're the one that gets to consume the prescription that is doled out. So as the consumer, as the customer, it is your right to have informed consent, to understand exactly what it is you're putting in your body, what the odds are that it will help you, and what the odds are that it could potentially harm you. So that's what the NNT is all about. I'm going to get into some alternatives to a couple of those high NNT drugs here in just a minute. But before I do that, I'll remind you that Vitality Radio is always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition and Bountiful, my family store. I'm sitting here at my desk in my home studio looking at my dad holding my son, my 21-year-old son, Bridger, who actually works with me at Vitality. He's the third generation. Dad was the first generation, and I'm smack in the middle uh, at Vitality Nutrition. We all have loved serving the people of Bountiful and Beyond for the 43 years that we've been in business, and I consider it a great honor and privilege to do what I do for a living. If you would like answers to your questions, your health questions, especially if some of them are challenging, you don't feel like you're getting answers other places or the answers you're getting are not satisfactory to you, we would love to help you with your health and nutrition needs at Vitality Nutrition. We'll try to do our very best to serve you in the best way possible. Give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Okay, last night we had an event it was the second of a two-part workshop that we do with Core Wellness, where we teach the neuro-auto-associative programming. I talked about it at the beginning of the show. There is another seminar that I'd like you to know about. That seminar is Tuesday the 23rd at Vitality Nutrition. That's just a few days away, Tuesday the 23rd of May. Uh, sorry, of March, in case you're listening to this podcast after that uh, day is over. Uh, we will be holding them at least once a month, in most cases twice a month it looks like, and maybe even uh, starting to extend to three times a month as the demand grows. But regardless, we have one on the 23rd. It is not totally full yet, although I believe it will be. If you're interested in learning more about rerouting your brain to give you the success, the comfort, the freedom that you've been looking for mentally and emotionally, we would love to help you with that. Give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. And jump back on the podcast to episode 39 if you want to learn more about neuro-auto-associative programming. Okay, so in the last uh, 18, 20 minutes that I have here, I'd like to go back through what I talked about in my rant, but from a little bit different perspective. Uh, remember, we talked about uh, statin drugs. We talked about blood pressure medicines. We talked about even aspirin, so mostly heart disease-related stuff. And the reason I picked those is because they are some of the more glaring examples because heart disease is the number one killer in America still. It's important that we know that we have alternatives uh, if these drugs aren't really cutting the mustard, so to speak. Remember, if you've never had a cardiovascular 
quote unquote event, heart attack or stroke, your odds of being helped by an aspirin a day are one in 1,667. Your odds of being helped by a blood pressure med, uh, even if you have high blood pressure in terms of prevention of heart attack or stroke, even after you've been on it for five years are still one in 125. And your odds of being helped by a, a statin drug for cholesterol, well, they aren't so hot either. Uh, the odds that it'll prevent a stroke for you are one in 268 and one in 60 prevention of a heart attack. And so we're not really looking at numbers that I think provide a whole lot of confidence. The One of the overwhelming philosophies that I've adopted over the years helping people with natural health is this recognition that unless it's an emergent situation, you know, the type of thing that gets you to the ER because you're, you have a major injury or there's a major event such as a heart attack or a stroke or something along those lines, then most of these things, you have time. You have time, you have space to determine what you should do. For instance, if you go into the doc and you get a cholesterol screening, a lipid panel as they call it, and your cholesterol is high, you have time to read up on what that actually means. You have time to review the, informa the information in a variety of different ways. We have the internet, which is very, very powerful in terms of being able to find this information. We have podcasts such as mine. We have podcasts from doctors who don't necessarily agree with my take on these things. You have options. You have time. You have space. You can look and seek out the best information that feels the best to you, that resonates the best with you, and then make an informed decision. One of the things that you can do in that time, if you so choose, is to look at alternative options to the pharmaceuticals. So in the case of cholesterol, where we know that, and I will say this too, the number needed to treat on cholesterol when it says one in 60 prevention of a heart attack, that is actually a really interesting number because I've read that is the lowest number. For my rant, I took the lowest number that I can find, not the highest number. And of course, the higher the number, the less your odds are that the drug will help. The average number that I've seen is somewhere between 250 and 300 people to be helped with a statin drug in terms of prevention of a heart attack. So I wanted to Throw that out there. But even if it's one in 60, you know, what are the chances of you being the one in the 60? Obviously, not very high, right? So if there are other things that could potentially lower your cholesterol that don't have known side effects, such as, oh, I don't know, walking, right? Or other forms of exercise, changing up your diet, reducing the inflammatory foods, uh, sugars and refined carbohydrates, increasing the healthy fats as opposed to the fats that are broken down and, and uh, destroyed when they process, process them and put them in foods or put them on your shelf-stable vegetable oils and things like that. So in other words, flipping over to things like real butter and coconut oil and researching that because that might sound counter to what you've heard before, that maybe margarine, which is a unsaturated fat would be healthier than butter. There are a lot of, there, there's a lot of misleading stuff out there. There's a lot of research that's been debunked. 
Uh, there is there are certainly a lot of opinions, but you have time. You have time to look into those things, the lifestyle changes that can be made. You also have time to look into it and determine if you believe that your cholesterol is actually at a dangerous level. There's a lot of conflict out there about that. What doctors tell you you should be shooting for based on what the the AMA, the FDA, the Centers for Disease Control, all these people are, are uh, promoting as the standard of care uh, when it comes to medicine, that cholesterol should be, total cholesterol should be under 200, that your uh, LDL, otherwise known as your, you know, bad, so to, so to speak, cholesterol should be under 100. When we see these things and we take them at face value, in other words, oh, I guess my cholesterol is supposed to be under 200, so my cholesterol is high. We oftentimes are taking things at face value that actually don't have a lot of evidence to back that face value. And the same thing can be said about what we're seeing with COVID and masks and th these vaccines that we truly don't know if they work or not. We truly don't know if they're safe or not. They just simply don't have a track record yet. And yet people are taking these things at face value and saying, okay, you know, give me the shot. I'll put on the mask, even though there's a large bunch of evidence on both sides of the equation that ought to be, I think, reviewed first in order to make a truly informed decision. Well, the same can be said about cholesterol. If you're looking at that and you, you're, you, you're told you have high cholesterol, and then you hear the things, the fear-based medicine that I've talked about before on Vitality Radio, and I just had somebody tell me this again at Vitality maybe two weeks ago, that their doctor told them that they were, they were a ticking time bomb. They're, they're going to have a heart attack or a stroke. It's only a matter of time with the cholesterol levels that they have. Well, their cholesterol level was like 250. There was no ticking time bomb in my view, but I'm not their clinician. I'm not their doctor. I'm not anybody's doctor. And so I, my hands are tied in terms of making a different, say, uh, let's say, diagnosis. It's not legal for me to do so. But based on the research that I have done, generally looking at people, I don't believe that that person was any, in any imminent danger, perhaps not in any danger at all. But when you walk out of the office thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, well, then that creates this sort of fight or flight type of response where we get this hyper-focused view of what's happening in our life. And then we think, oh, put me on the medicine. Well, I will say to the credit of many, many, many people who I've talked to over the last, well, 30 plus years of doing this, it's been beautiful to see that there are more and more people looking deeper into these recommendations and recognizing that just because the cholesterol number appears to be high, that maybe those numbers are, there's some conflict, let's say, or some discrepancies between the research and the recommendations, and that maybe cholesterol meds are actually not as safe as you might think that they are, and certainly maybe they're not as effective as you might think that they are. So then those people are taking it into their own hands. They're looking at their health in a more holistic way and saying, okay, what other options do I have? So let's talk about some of those options. First off, please, please, please 
do your own research about the con- the whole concept of cholesterol being the leading cause, high cholesterol being the leading cause of heart disease and high cholesterol being this ticking time bomb scenario, please look into that because there are plenty of people, plenty of people, doctors included, that do not agree with that assessment based on the literature. So first, become aware of the situation for what it actually is. Then if you decide that you need to adjust your cholesterol numbers, maybe increase your HDL or reduce your LDL, then look at the lifestyle things you can do. Like I said, exercise is a big one with cholesterol. Believe it or not, stress reduction is a big one. Breathing techniques have been shown to actually reduce cholesterol, believe it or not. That sounds weird. I get it. But cholesterol is an inflammatory response to some degree. Inflammation is a response to stress to some degree. And therefore, Breathing and reducing stress and inflammation can actually help. It can also reduce your blood pressure. So there's some really beautiful things you can do with just breath work and walking. These are cool things because guess what? They're both really good for you and don't have side effects. Isn't that great? The number needed to treat may not matter as much because the number of people doing it in order to cause harm is infinite. We can all do it and it isn't going to hurt us. So what about supplementally? Well, there's a few things that you can do. One thing I talked about is berberine, and I did a whole show on berberine, and I should have looked this up before I started, but it's pretty early in the podcast. I think it's in the 20s uh, in terms of the number, uh, the podcast number that it is. But if you just search uh, berberine uh, in the podcast app, you'll be able to find it, Berberine Vitality Radio. You'll It'll pop up. And the research there shows that it's far more effective or sorry, far safer and as effective or more so than statins at lowering cholesterol. So that's an option. There are other options. Google lipids, not Google the company. Those guys kind of stink. But Google lipids, which come from India, are really, really great for balancing out uh, cholesterol levels. Another thing that people have had excellent success with, and I went into sort of a deep dive on last week, is Garlic, the mighty garlic, amazing for cholesterol. Much of the research shows that it can reduce it by 10% all by itself, just supplementing one or two capsules a day of a good aged garlic. And then another one that I love, something called phytosterols or beta-cytosterol. These are really, really powerful. The only downside to the beta-cytosterol is the dose is a little bit higher. Uh, Most people are having to take three to four tablets a day, at least initially, to get where they want to be when it comes to cholesterol. But in some research, it's shown to decrease cholesterol by as much as 20%. So it can be very, very effective. And again, we're not seeing side effects with any of these things. So really, really great options. And this is, as I started saying it, and then I sidetracked myself, which if you listen to the show on a regular basis, you know happens more often than I'd like it to. But this is what's important here. The drugs will always be there. If you are not in imminent danger without taking a drug, in other words, drugs can be life-saving. I 100% believe that. I never want you to think, listening to Vitality Radio, that I don't think there's a place for pharmaceuticals in this world or for doctors or for hospitals or emergency rooms or anything else. There absolutely is. Do I believe much of that is overused, overdone, overprescribed? Absolutely I do. And there's 
loads of evidence that that is the case. But it doesn't mean that we should poo-poo it all together and say, nope, I'm not going to do any of those things. Those things are there for a reason, and we have that option, and it doesn't go away. So in other words, if you're looking at your cholesterol numbers, you've done your research, and you've decided that you want to reduce your cholesterol, it can be done in a variety of very safe ways. And if that doesn't work, if it if you fail and you can't get your cholesterol down and you still feel the need, the statins will always be there. They'll always be there, I promise. They're not taking them away. How about blood pressure? This one may be my favorite because it's probably the combination of the surest thing I've seen in terms of effectiveness, but also potentially the best thing that you can do for long-term cardiovascular wellness. And that's a product called NO Cardio Boost. Now, NO Cardio Boost stands for nitric oxide cardio boost. And there's a doctor, his name's Dr. Ignaro out of LA, who won the Nobel Prize for Medicine. Now, the Nobel Prize for Medicine isn't given out to slouches. It's a pretty impressive thing. He discovered what nitric oxide does, how it works in the body, and also how to manipulate nitric oxide levels, how to boost them, because he found that the higher the nitric oxide in the cardiovascular system, the greater the reduction of cardiovascular events, such as strokes and heart attacks. And so after he won the Nobel Prize, he continued to research and he eventually came up with an actual natural formula that actually does exactly that. And that is increased nitric oxide, which in the clinical studies shows that it is a very powerful influence on reduction of cardiovascular events. The two primary ingredients that he discovered that work for this are L-arginine and L-citrulline. These are both amino acids. Amino acids are required elements in the human body. So these are proteins. They're not drugs. And generally speaking, with the exception of the potential for some people to have a little bit of stomach upset, they're very, very safe. And so the beauty of it is it's safe. Another beauty of it is it's really effective. The clinical research is stacked studies high dozens and dozens and dozens of studies showing what nitric oxide does. Perhaps you've read about beetroot or beet juice for nitric oxide for heart health. Well, that's why beet juice is loaded with L-citrulline, and it's a great option as well. Well, what does nitric oxide actually do? Well, nitric oxide is amazing because what it does is it actually expands uh, the veins. It's a vasodilator. So it pushes things out a little bit more. And as it does that, that actually reduces pressure in the vascular system. But it also, in essence, exercises the tissue, the actual vascular tissue. And over time, what Dr. Ignaro was able to prove and has been proven by other clinicians since, that actually can reduce vascular aging and in some cases reverse vascular aging. How's that for powerful? In other words, basically, as we get older, you know, when we're little, when you've got a two-year-old, you can bend them in half, they bend back out, and they're fine, and they're off running away. But if you do that to a 48-year-old like me, it's going to take me a minute to stand back up if I do, right? Everything becomes less elastic with age, absolutely, and that doesn't stop at our vascular system. In fact, perhaps the cardiovascular system is one of the biggest things that that toll of age is taken on because 
There's a lot of work going on there with the heart and the cardiovascular system. And if we're not exercising it through actual exercise, but also through actually getting more nitric oxide in there and pumping and putting pressure against the vascular system to create that younger age elasticity that once was there that is potentially gone, then we're doing ourselves a disservice in my view. Now, I don't have a history of heart disease in my family. Not really. Not the kind of thing where a doctor would say, well, you know, you're, you're at risk. And, and my cholesterol, even though I don't agree with the numbers that, that doctors are giving in terms of what's too high, is actually in a great spot, even according to them. So I don't have that issue. And I've never had high blood pressure. And yet I take NO Cardio Boost every single day because I want the benefits of long-term cardiovascular health. And that is a really, really beautiful thing. When you, it, when you create more elasticity in the veins, there's less likelihood of <clears throat> what are called kind of micro cracks where cholesterol is actually used as an internal Band-Aid to plug those up. And those micro cracks are one of the possible causes of cardiovascular blockages, which, of course, can then lead to stroke. And so that's one thing. But also, also by exercising the vascular system, you are reducing pressure. And in almost every case, people who you get enough nitric oxide, boy, I can spit it out, enough nitric oxide find that their blood pressure normalizes. And in many cases, far better than pharmaceuticals are able to do it. I've had many customers who have told me that three or four pharmaceuticals didn't get their blood pressure down, but getting their nitric oxide up did. So there's some really great, effective, natural things that you can use before you resort to a drug with a number needed to treat of 125, like blood pressure meds. And a as high a rate or even higher rate of number needed to treat before we have side effects. So I hope that you've learned some things from today's episode. If you like what you hear on Vitality Radio and the Vitality Radio podcast, please share it with your friends, your family members. Let's get this information out there to as many people as we can. And of course, if you have any questions, call us at Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. If you're within the sound of my voice, you are within the sound or the reach, sorry, of our help. We will get to you. I had somebody who was listening in Colorado uh, that called us up just a couple days ago. So wherever you are, give us a call, 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.
Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.